You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. Sure, I'm on here. There we go. And a blessing to be with you. And as I drove into the parking lot tonight and saw your uh, remodeled, I don't think that's a good term for that building, amen? And uh, that one's been saved, amen? And, uh, and I'll tell you what, just amazing thing, and I just want to commend the church. Before I get started in my message, commend the church. This is a big, a big thing. Uh, to complete a project like this of the scope and size and the expense and everything that went into it. And I commend the church. I commend the pastor. Uh, I was here last year. I saw it. It's, it's a hundred percent better than where you were uh, a year ago. And, uh, and the excitement I see here tonight and uh, feel here tonight in the church and the good crowd uh, I'm in a lot of churches. You don't find that in every church, and I mean even in every good church. And so you have much to be grateful for and uh, thankful for, and I commend you. And I also want to uh, uh, identify the vision that it takes to accomplish that. You know, if you go along, to just go along in life and maintain takes a tremendous amount of effort. Anybody ever notice that? I mean, just to, just to keep things moving in the right direction, but to uh, advance and to improve and to make something better than it was, that takes, number one, it takes vision. You know what? When I drove, when I drove in tonight, I saw that. I thought, boy, that looks uh, beautiful, looks great. But you know what? That took vision. Somebody else saw that before I ever saw it. Somebody else saw that when it wasn't even there, and that was your pastor in particular. And uh, he took that vision, and uh, you folks picked up on it and followed him and all the work and all the sacrifice and all the, all the problems. I'm aware of a few of the issues. I uh, don't know that I could articulate them, but I know uh, over the year and the last two years, you know, with COVID and everything and how the project got stopped and this issue and that. Folks, if you're going to advance, you really got to push. And by the way, that's true in our personal lives, too. And by the way, that's true in our nation. And uh, as I was thinking about this tonight, you know, my goal in my ministry is to uh, protect the liberties that enable churches like this to continue to advance the cause of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we do. We appreciate your support, thankful for it, and uh, looking forward to the time of fellowship after the service tonight. Take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 17. Verse number 32, Luke chapter 17 and verse number 32. Good to have my wife, uh, Heidi, with me, and uh, good to be here visiting uh, John and Tiffany, uh, staying with them as well, and they advanced in the past year. I mean, they were in a really small house last time, now it's a bigger, and I said, man, I cannot wait until next year. <laughs> and uh, we went out, we saw a house up on the mountaintop somewhere, I said, hey, there it is, right there, amen. So we're looking forward to coming back and see where we're staying next year, amen. And uh, so, but it's good to be with them and uh, fellowship with them. And by the way, somebody needs to tell them that their dog is not a grandchild, all right? So if, so, if somebody could impart that to them, uh, that would be a blessing. And uh, so, no, we enjoy spending time with them. Luke chapter 17, 
verse number 32. Uh, if you have uh, mastered the verse, Jesus wept, and memorize that, then this is your next verse, amen? Uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 32, just three words. Remember Lot's wife. And tonight I want us to go back. We're going to go back in the chapter. We're going to get some context. And I want us to find out why Jesus told his disciples to remember Lot's wife. And let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight. I thank you for this time we can look into your word. I'm thankful for this uh, time, this mountain peak experience for this church of completing uh, this building that can now be used to, uh, where lives can be changed and souls can be won and people can be discipled uh, for the cause, for your cause and for the cause of, of reaching the world. And Lord, we're just thankful for that and grateful for that. And I pray now that you would meet with us tonight, that you would give us some truth that can challenge us, each one of us, in our own personal lives as well as in our efforts to reach the world. And we'll thank you for it, for we ask in your name, amen. Let's go back to verse number 20 of Luke chapter 17. Verse number 20 says, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, he is Jesus here, he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come. So the Pharisees asked Jesus a question. By the way, it's a question even that believers ask. When is God going to set up his kingdom in this world? Now, I don't believe the Pharisees were asking sincerely. They were not, we know they were not seeking the true Messiah as a whole. And they weren't, they weren't coming to Jesus saying, hey, we sincerely uh, want to know this. They were probably uh, looking to get out from under the Roman government uh, uh, more than anything else. But they, they weren't seeking the true Messiah, uh, Messiah. But Jesus, though sometimes in the New Testament, he did not answer questions that were asked insincerely. He did choose to answer their question. And if you look at it, uh, let's go back there. He answered them and said, verse 20 still, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. For behold, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. Now again, we need to understand who Jesus was speaking to. He is speaking here to unsaved people. And so he is addressing them with that in mind. And he said, look, he said, you are not going to observe. It is not going to come with observation. Now, there were two reasons that I believe Jesus could tell them it wasn't going to come with observation. Number one, because he knew, knowing all things, he knew they weren't going to live long enough. Amen. They'd still have to be alive today. He said, you're not going to see it with your physical eyes. But secondly, he said it's not going to come with observation because he knew the condition of their hearts. And he knew that unless they placed their faith in him alone, repentant of their sin and trusted him for salvation, they would never see the kingdom of God. And folks, by the way, that remains the, truth, the same truth to this day. Until you place your faith, if you don't place your faith in Christ, you're not going to see the kingdom of God in this world. You're not going to see the kingdom of God in the world to come. And so that's why he said, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. They were seeking a physical kingdom, and what they should have been looking for was the spiritual kingdom that they would receive when they placed their faith in Christ alone. So they're focused on the wrong kingdom of God. They wanted the outward when they needed the inward. 
But now, moving on in verse number 22, Jesus turns his attention from the Pharisees to the disciples who, like ourselves, were interested in the answer to the same question. They hadn't asked the question. But Jesus is going to uh, now uh, address them and talk to them in, about this same question. Look at verse number 22. And he said unto the disciples, who are disciples, they're believers. So now we're talk, not talking to unbelievers. He's speaking to believers. He says this, the days will come. When ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. He said to these believers, he said, look, you are going to experience days when you will long for the kingdom. And by the way, with the light given to us by the New Testament, the time will come when believers will, we know, will long for the day of Christ. We long for it today. But we know as Jesus back then, he's looking ahead days and months and years and centuries and millenniums knowing the persecution that would come to believers. Times of persecution when they would long for and say, where is the kingdom of God? And folks, that continues to this day. But you know, let me caution us as Americans. You know, sometimes as Americans, we look around today and we say, oh, things are so bad. Jesus just has to come back. Folks, can I tell you something tonight? Things can be tough, but can I tell you, they're not as tough here as they are in many, many places around the world and have been for generations. Say, boy, Christians in America are persecuted. Well, in some sense... But you know, we are, we did, we all came here freely tonight with no fear of being arrested. No fear of being, you understand that many countries, and I would say tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of believers around the world, when you take China into account, if they had done just what you had done, have done tonight by coming to church, they would be arrested for their faith. We need to be careful about this thing of thinking we're so persecuted. We're blessed. We're blessed. I think about back in the days when we were exposed to what was happening in Syria and, and people were being for their faith. And I'm not even sure they were genuine Christians. A lot of those, the Coptic Christians, they call them. That's more of a Catholic uh, form of Christianity, as, my, as I understand it. I'm not even sure there's some of those folks, but undoubtedly among those, those folks that were uh, being persecuted, there were true believers. But folks, listen, they were burned to death in some cases. They were drowned in cages. They were beheaded. While we lived over here. You know, I'm not talking about a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago. I'm talking about in our lifetime. Jesus said the days are coming when you're going to long for the return of Christ. And we see that in the world. Look, let's continue. And you shall not see it. Look, verse number 23. And they shall say to you, see here, see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. There will be those who come along and say this person is the Messiah or this event is the beginning of the kingdom of God on earth. He says don't believe them, don't follow them. And then he tells us how he will set up his kingdom in this world. Look at verse number 24. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. What's he talking about? God setting up his kingdoms, Christ's return. He says, look, it's going to be done in the time that it takes 
for a bolt of lightning to race across the sky. Folks, you know when God decides to do something, he doesn't need a lot of time to get it done. Bless God. Now, if you're going to take a building like this over here and turn it into what it is today, it takes a little bit of time. Amen. <laughs> but you know what? Folks, when God decides something's going to be done, he can do it just like that. And Jesus, these folks are saying, boy, we're looking for signs and we want to know and we want to kind of see the process. And Jesus is saying, look, when this time comes, whether we're talking about Christ's return, when we're talking about setting his kingdom up at the end of the tribulation period, folks, I'm telling you this, it's going to happen faster than we can even know it's happening. It's going to be over before we know it even started. And then he takes his disciples back to the present in verse 25. He says, but first must he, speaking of himself, suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. He said, let me, let me come. He's kind of saying, okay, but wait a minute. I have not even been crucified yet, Jesus says. We've got to first go through that. And uh, so it's not coming until after that. And we now know not for at least 2,000 plus years after that. But Jesus said, I've got to first be crucified. And that brings us to the passage that I want to focus the rest of our time on tonight, where Jesus identifies the conditions that will exist in the world when he returns to establish his kingdom. So Jesus is now going to tell us what it's going to be like when he comes back. And he does so by using two well-known Old Testament examples. Look in verse number 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Now follow this, because if we stopped right there, I don't think we would come to the conclusion that the next verse would be written the way it is. Knowing what we know about the days of Noah, but look what verse 27 says. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Folks, when Christ returns, Jesus said, or when he comes back, the kingdom's going to be established. It's going to be in the day, just like the days of Noah. And then he paints a picture of what you and I would consider really just to be the normal course of life. I was excited about coming to church tonight. Why? Because after church, we get to go eat and drink. Amen? No alcohol, by the way. Amen? And by the way, I still believe it's wrong for Christians to drink alcohol. Amen? And, uh, and, and they shouldn't even ever touch it. But they eat, eat drink, marry, getting married, giving in marriage, just normal course of life. He says that's what it's going to be like. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to the second example, verse number 28. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. All right, so now he goes to Lot's day. They did eat, they drank, they bought. They sold, they planted, they built it. Anybody buy and sell this week? How many do more buying than selling, amen? <laughs> and, uh, buying, selling, planting, building, what we're celebrating tonight. Again, just the normal course of life right up to the moment that the fire and brimstone fell. 
Now here's, I believe, what's the first lesson we can learn about the timing of the Lord's return, the Lord coming to set up His kingdom, and that's this. The Lord is going to return on a day that is just like every other day. There's not going to be a heads up. There's not going to be a particular warning sign. When I was a kid, I had a brother, still have two brothers, amen, and uh, three brothers actually, but one was way behind, God wasn't born at the time, but that we were all teenagers, but uh, brother two years older than me, two years younger, we got to about uh, young teenagers, and my parents would uh, go out occasionally, and uh, they, would, they came to us, we got a little older, hey, we're not going to get a babysitter, isn't that beautiful, those are beautiful words when you're a kid, amen, <laughs> no babysitter. And uh, my parents would say, now look, we're going to go away. You're old enough now. You guys can behave yourselves. And we're all standing there. Yes, we're very good at that. Amen. And uh, we're going to be gone, and we'll be back after a while, so you guys be good and, and take care of yourselves. We just, yes, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, yes. And boy, when those taillights turned down out of the driveway, went down the hill, Man, I'm telling you what, we, I, I don't know about you, but my brothers, we love to wrestle and fight. And, uh, and it was on, amen. And I, the cushions in the living room, you know, and we're, I could still remember uh, my mother had a, a, a uh, lamp that was a two-part lamp, like the old kerosene lanterns. It was electric, but it was built after you. And I can still remember seeing the pillow fly across the room and hit that lamp. And I can still see that glass globe flying through the air and hitting the floor, but the Lord was in it. It only broke into three pieces. <laughs> and you can glue three pieces back together, amen? That was back in the days, I think, they, you know, 70s, I think they just invented super glue, amen? And, and, uh, and I'll tell you what, man, the rest, of that, the rest of that particular night, we were there gluing that light and turning, turning that light so they got the cracks were on the back, Amen? About four years later, my mother's like, what's that dark brown line down the back of my lamp, you know? Amen, it wasn't very good super glue, amen? It turned brown after a few years. But, but, um, but folks, listen, when my parents would come home, we'd be going at it. When my parents came home, if they came in the, up the hill and turned in the driveway, their headlights would kind of go across the front of the house, and wherever you were in the house, you would see for just a second a flash of light. Man, we'd be going on, and all of a sudden, that flash of light, Folks, can I tell you those next three minutes? Man, I'm talking by the time my parents walked in the front door, there we were. <laughs> amen. Every cushion in its place, every light glued back together, amen. <laughs> Folks, you know why? Because we had a warning. Folks, there's no warning when the Lord returns. There's no warning. You say, well, boy, things are going to, I, I know when things start really getting, no, I'm f telling you, folks, the Lord is going to come back at a moment when we think not. Therefore, be ye also ready. He says in Matthew 24, 44, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. You know why? Because he knows what we would do if we knew we were going to get a warning. We would wait until the warning to get serious. But folks, I'm telling you, the Lord wants us to be serious about serving Him every single day so that we're always ready. So we know that the Lord's going to return, Jesus said, on a day that's like every other day. We also know from other scriptures that the days of Noah and Lot 
had something else in common. They were days of excessive evil and wickedness. Genesis 6, 5 gives a clear description of Noah's day. It says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Things were so bad. Verse number 6 of Genesis 6 says this, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. The same thing was true in the days of Lot. When speaking to Abraham, the Lord referred to the sin of the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah as being very grievous. And most of you are familiar with the story of the angels who were sent to rescue Lot from Sodom and what the men of the city wanted to do to them. It was a day of perverseness. Wickedness, by the way, I've grown up in a generation of Christianity that back in the 70s and 80s, uh, evangelists would come and preachers would come and say, bless God, if it ever gets like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, we're done. The Lord will be back. Folks, can I tell you something? I think we're, be I think we're not only there, I think we're beyond there. You know that you don't find in Scripture, even mentioned in the days of, the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, you don't find anywhere in the Scripture that I'm aware of where you had a generation that was so perverse and so confused and so immoral that they could not even figure out the difference between a man and a woman anymore. You don't find that. Folks, I'm telling you, we've surpassed it. And there's a reason I think we're still here. We'll get to that in a minute. There's a reason I think we're still here. But I'm telling you this, we are already there. Jude 1.7 says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So follow me tonight. In both the days of Noah and in the days of Lot, it was the excessive wickedness, but not just excessive wickedness, it was excessive wickedness of the overwhelming majority of the population that led God to destroy them. Which brings me to this conclusion. There is a line in the sand of immoral behavior that when crossed and when there is a lack of Salt and light to stand against it any longer. You cross that line and the floodgates of God's judgment will be opened in an instant. And so if we want to know when the Lord's going to return, it will be a day when an overwhelming majority of the population will be involved in excessive wickedness. And folks, listen, you don't have to have a doctorate in prophecy to come to the conclusion that our generation, a generation that is increasingly dominated by sexual perversion, open rebellion against the laws of God, and the murder of innocent life, to name a few, is at risk of crossing that line. So the Lord's going to return on a day that's like every other day. He's going to return in a time of excessive evil and wickedness. But there's at least one more important application to be gleaned from the passage. And that is a lesson from the lives of the two men Christ identified to illustrate his point. Noah and Lot. Think about that for a minute. Both lived in the midst of excessively evil generations. Both had families. A wife and married children. But how they responded to the culture is completely different. One succumbed to the culture. One overcame the culture. One went with the flow. One stood against the flow. 
the scripture tells us that one, namely Lot, dwelled among them, vexing his righteous soul with their unlawful deeds. Now think about this. I think that's what this, I think what that means is Lot would go home at night from his work, from his business, from his position in the city, and he would go in and he'd sit down and he would say to his wife, he'd say, oh, honey, you just can't believe what I saw. Oh, I just can't believe how wicked, how perverse, how awful these people are acting. This society has become, he would vex his soul and well, he should have. Folks, you ever get to the day when this wickedness, this ungodliness doesn't vex your soul? Then I'll tell you what, we've got to ask ourselves, are we genuinely saved? Amen? Or we are genuinely backslidden, one or the other. But it vexed his righteous soul. But when the day, the next morning came and Lot walked out the door and went to work and went out into the society and went to his business, folks, you know what I believe Lot did? He zipped his lip. I'm not sure that there was one person in Sodom and Gomorrah who knew that Lot was a Christian. Folks, it wasn't that he didn't win a thousand to the Lord. He walked out of Sodom and Gomorrah without one convert, without one person that he had reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there had been ten, the city would have been preserved. Folks, can I tell you that soul winning is important? Can I tell you that uh, taking those new believers and discipling them and training them up is still very important? I believe this. You say, why has God spared America to this point? I believe because there is evidently still enough salt and light, still enough believers living for the Lord, still enough gospel preaching churches that are not afraid to stand up and proclaim the truth. Lot zipped the lip. He was what some might call a silent witness. Folks, you can't, you ever, I'll tell you what, you ever get called into court and be a witness and you get up there and you say, I'm, I'm here today and I'm just going to be a silent witness. You know what? That's not going to work. I'll just tell you, that won't turn out well. One dwelled among them, vexing his righteous soul with their unlawful deeds. What did the other do? What did Noah do? The Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness. Now, folks, I think that's more than even just giving out the gospel. I think he, righteousness is right living. I think Noah, as he would preach and he would prepare for the flood, he would stand up and I believe he would preach against adultery and I believe he would preach against homosexuality and he would preach against lesbianism and he would preach against lying. He would preach against sin. He would preach right living. And by the way, folks, can I tell you something? You can preach the truth in love. You can preach the truth in love. I pastored 28 years. There was a period of time when I had a, two lesbians coming to, to our church, to the services. And they would come. And folks, let me tell you something. When they walked in the back door, they got the same handshake and the same kind greeting that every other person who walked in the back door of our church for 28 years got. And when they came in, they sat down, they were respected, just like every other person was respected in the church. But folks, if I preached them, look, folks, if I walk into church and I know, and I have a message about adultery, and it mentions adultery, and I look out and I say, oh my goodness, there's some adulterers here today, can't preach that. God help us. Folks, you understand, we would never preach against the sin of lying. We couldn't do it. I couldn't do it tonight. 
you bunch of liars, amen. <laughs> Folks, seriously. But you can preach the truth in love. Listen, I don't believe. And by the way, there's some in the name of Christ today who preach some messages that I don't believe have any place in, in our faith and in the book. Look, uh, I don't think Noah stood up and preached and said, look, I can't wait till you all drown. I don't think he preached that. I think Noah preached and said, repent, get on the ark. Save your life. Repent from your sin. He preached the truth in love. And we can preach the truth in love. And every person that walks in the back door of the church ought to be greeted with love, realizing they're a sinner just like the rest of us. And if they aren't saved, that they're living in some sin that, uh, that is taking them down a wrong path and a very wrong path, they still need the love of Jesus Christ. One, dwell, one, vex, one vexed his righteous soul, the other preached righteousness. One had courage, one did not. Last June, there was a teacher down in Virginia. You might have heard of him. He was unknown a year ago right now. His name's Tanner Cross. I don't know Tanner Cross' faith background. Tanner Cross was a teacher in the Loudoun County Public Schools. Taught little kids. I believe was a physical ed teacher. And that school district came out with a policy that said the teachers have to begin letting the, little, letting the children know that boys can be girls and girls can be boys. And folks, that ain't so. That can't happen. But Tanner Cross decided that that wouldn't work for him. And he went before the school board. Folks, what I'm about to read you is not a quote from what he said in church. He stood before the school board. And this is what Tanner Cross said. He said that he would not, and now I'm quoting, affirm that a biological boy can be a girl and vice versa because it's against my religion, it's lying to a child, it's abuse to a child, and it is sinning against our God. He said that in a public school board meeting. He said that at the risk of his job. And in fact, he was let go the next day, or at least couldn't, uh, was, was stopped from teaching in the classroom. And I believe he's been put back in, but I think it's still being litigated. But he did that at the risk of his job. Can I tell you something? That took courage. And it wasn't just to stand up and say, I disagree. No, he said, it is sinning against our God. He had courage. Complaining about a former prime minister and the, that prime minister's lack of courage, Winston Churchill said this. He said, I remember when I was a child being taken to the celebrated Barnum Circus, which contained an exhibition of freaks and monstrosities. But the exhibit on the program, which I most desired to see, was the one described as the boneless wonder. My parents, however, judged that the spectacle would be too demoralizing and revolting for my youthful eye. And I have waited 50 years to see the boneless wonder sitting on the treasury bench in Parliament. Folks, can I tell you something? We don't need any more boneless wonders. And by the way, 
We don't need any more boneless wonders in politics and in the state house. But folks, can I tell you something? We don't need boneless wonders in the church house. But before you say amen too loud to that, we don't need boneless wonders in our own houses. Folks, can I tell you one of the biggest problems I saw in Christian homes over 28 years of pastoring? It's parents who would not say no to their kids. You know what that is? That's a lack of courage. Now, Tiffany's here. Tiffany will know. She'd, she'd wake up in the morning. She'd hear me down in the bedroom, staying in front of the mirror. No, 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 no. My kids would ask me a question. My first response is no, and then we'd go from there. Amen? <laughs> now, folks, I'm telling you. No, I'm, and, and I'm joking about that, but I'm telling you, folks, we as parents, look, you know what, I get, I've had politicians come to me and say, you know what, we're a little tired of pastors and, and Christians and people coming and wanting us to have courage to stand up at the state house when they won't have courage in their own churches and in their own homes. Folks, we're going to do right. We've got to have courage. We don't need boneless wonders. I don't know. I don't know where that begins and ends. But folks, I'm telling you something. In the workplace today, we're going to have to have some courage. Think about this. We have a gen we're living in a generation when people are walking away from careers and jobs because they will not take a vaccine. And I'm, folks, the government should not be forcing vaccines on us. And every person should make their own decision on the vaccine. We should have freedom to do that. I'm all for that. But folks, I'm telling you this. People are walking away from good paying jobs because they won't take a vaccine. My question is this, where are the believers like Tanner Cross who are willing to say, you know what? I'm not going to espouse the lies that I'm being told to espouse at my workplace. I preached this message in a distant state. Had a lady come up to me in the service afterwards in tears. She said, I work at a major hospital in a major city, in the capital city of that state. She said, it's a women's and children's hospital. She said, and I'm not a nurse, I'm not a doctor, but I'm involved in the procedures. I meet with patients, I talk to them. And she said, let me tell you something. She said, we are mutilating boys and girls and, and young people and adults on a regular basis, trying to change boys into girls and girls into boys. She was weeping. She said, what do I do? I said, well, you talk to your pastor, amen. I'm telling you this, if I'd been her pastor, here's what I'd tell her to do. I'd say, look, your conscience. Folks, you know what? God gave us a conscience for a reason. And you know what? When your workplace asks you to espouse lies, it's time for you to stand up. And by the way, folks, we still have liberty. Can I tell you this? There are, there are religious uh, lawyer or, or, or faith-based lawyer groups and Christian lawyer groups across this country who are waiting to stand by and defend us. If we won't stand up now, what about preferred pronouns? Folks, seems like a little thing. Well, it bothers me, but folks, you understand, using preferred pronouns, that is all based on lies. You know, when Alexander Solzhenitsyn got kicked out of Russia 
after he was exposing what they were doing in the gulag and the horrible things that the communists were doing, the last thing he did when he, when he left Russia, as he left, he published an essay, and that essay was called Live, it's still, you can still get it, Live Not By Lies. He said to the Russian people, you may not be able to change what your country is, but you do not have to ascribe to the lies. Folks, we need some Christians with courage. You know what the challenge is here? This is where the rubber meets the road in this culture today. You say, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm just not willing to lose my job over a preferred pronoun. Okay, let me ask you this question. Where is the line? Because I'm telling you this, they're not stopping at that. Courage. Courage. Verse 31, in that day which... He which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down, take it away, and he that's in the field, let him likewise not return back. Last point here, one shut the door and never looked back. That was Noah. God shut the door. Noah never looked back. He didn't try to keep the door open, amen. And the other had a wife that was turned into a pillar of salt. Remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife's punishment was to be an eternal example of the Christian who refused to follow the admission, I believe, of Matthew 5.13, where it says, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under the foot of men. Now follow me tonight. Thank the Lord for the material blessings of life, but the day that the material things of this world take precedent over our love for the Lord and the truth of his word, we have just become a part of the problem, not the solution. And despite the wickedness that surrounded them, despite the gross immorality, despite the complete lack of any godly friendships or fellowship, despite living in a city consumed by sexual perversion, despite presumably knowing the judgment of God was about to fall, the heart of Lot's wife was drawn more to what she was leaving behind than to the God of heaven. And folks, you and I can't decide the culture of a nation, but we can decide how we're going to respond to it. We can decide if we're personally going to succumb to it or stand up against it. We can decide if we're going to be a Noah and take action to speak the truth in love and stand against the evil or a lot who just went along. I'm talking about in our personal lives, in our marriages, in our families, our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our churches. Folks, you better thank God you have a pastor who's not afraid to preach the truth. You say, well, it's not politically correct. You better thank God you have a pastor who is not afraid to preach the truth. And preach it in love. In our churches, in our government, folks, we have a choice to make. Remember Lot's wife. And then look at the, last verse, the next verse, verse 33, because that sums it all up. Jesus sums it all up there. It's like the moral to the story here. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Let's not make the same mistake that Lot's wife made. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight. I thank you for this time. We can look into your word. Lord, challenge us. We need courage to stand for the truth in our personal lives, in our public lives, in our homes, in our churches, in government. Lord, we need courage today. 
Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us and give us that courage. I don't know how this message can be applied to each life. I don't know the stories going to each person here. Lord, I pray that you would take it, apply it as you see fit. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder how many would say, Brother Cranston, I know I'm saved. No, I'm on my way to heaven. And you'd slip your hand up as a testimony of that tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Many hands. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.